Grab your Bibles, turn to John 21. Let's read our text this morning. John 21, we'll read 15 through 19. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But let me tell you what it's going to be like when you are old. You will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. You may be seated. So last week we encountered this last chapter and and began to look at it. The eleven were supposed to go to Galilee and they were to meet Jesus and they were to meet Jesus up on a mountain. Well, seven of them get there and Peter is kind of the ringleader among the seven that are there. And he says, I'm going to go fishing. And the other six said, we will go along with you. Six of them were fishermen by trade before Jesus called them. Thomas is with them, so it's likely the six fishermen and Thomas is with them. And so they go out and they go fishing. Now they are not supposed to meet Jesus at the lake. They are supposed to meet him on a mountain. We learn that in Matthew 28, 16. It says, now um, the eleven went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So he told them to go to the mountain. But as we find them in John chapter 21... That is not where they are. And so we saw last week that though they have gone to do this, Jesus still meets them even though they are not exactly in the right place. They've gone fishing all night. They don't catch anything. And the reason they don't catch anything is they're not to be fishermen anymore. He has called them to a new perspective of life, a new purpose in their lives. And so they spend all night trying to catch things. And who remembers how much they caught? Nothing. Not one single fish. After casting the net and casting the net and casting the net, they caught nothing. Peter's the one who suggests the fishing trip on this night. The others just say, or could have said, and probably should have said, Peter, um, we're supposed to be waiting on the Lord. He didn't tell us to go fishing, and he would just find us somewhere. None of them say that, even though that's the instruction that's there. And there's a point there that I want to point out here. If you and I are not careful, we will surround ourselves sometimes with others who just affirm our decisions, right? And don't speak into it and say, um, this is not where we need to be. We need to be where the Lord has told us to be. And this is the case with the others with Peter. Nobody says, Peter, um, we're supposed to meet the Lord on the mountain. He's going to meet us there. Let's get to where we're supposed to be there. I've seen this through the years. I've been doing this for a long time and I've observed families where someone in the family will begin to grow cold to spiritual things 
maybe even church or other faith matters, and they will quit going, quit being engaged, and they will drag the rest of the family to not be connected. And they will experience, just as Peter and the other six experienced on that night, families do this, individuals do this, relationships do this, a period of time where it's just empty nets, a casting of trying to, well, maybe, maybe this is where I'm going to find purpose. And people cast the net and they don't catch anything. Unfortunately, there are those who just follow along and don't say anything. And so again, Jesus has told them already these words. I want to remind us, I shared this last week, but let me remind us of this. This is an important verse, John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, Jesus said, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now listen to this. This is what he says. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus has already told them, if you're going to be successful in your life and in your ministry and what you do, if you're going to have peace and purpose and direction in your life, it's going to come when you abide and you remain in me. You do what I tell you to do. Remember what he also said in the upper room several times? You are my friends if you do what I have commanded you to do. When you obey, this is how you will be connected with me. Now, as I share that verse, this is not just about church stuff. This is about our whole lives being marked by the reality of remaining in Him no matter what comes and no matter what is there. All of our life, every area of our life, is to be lived sacred unto the Lord. So we saw in John chapter 21, 3-7 last week, is that even though they're not where they're supposed to be, supposed to be on the mountain, they're at the lake, Jesus comes to them. And sometimes that's the case with us. We are so knuckle-headed that he will tell us exactly what to do. And maybe we're not, being, we're not being bad, we're not doing, but we're not where we're supposed to be. And we're just content being not where he's told us to be. And we're there. And I'm so thankful that God's grace overcomes those moments in our life that he still comes to us even in those places. And so he could have just gone to the mountain and let them figure out that, that they ought to get there. There's, there's also four others that we don't know where they are. Probably they're on the mountain doing what they're supposed to do, waiting. The other seven are on the lake. They're on the mountain. But I, aren't you grateful that God does that? We need Him to intervene in our lives. And so we saw last week that He comes to them even though they're not where they are supposed to be. Everything's about to change for them dramatically. Their friend Jesus, their Lord Jesus is going to come to them in their present condition. He's going to speak to them and he's going to bring the healing that they need and particularly what Peter needs. Now, when they get to the boat, they've caught nothing all night. And then Jesus says, hey, friends, if you cast your net out on the right side, you'll get some fish. So they cast their net on the right side and they go from zero to 153, just like that. Proving that when we obey and we listen to Jesus' words, he provides the fruit. He brings the abundance. He does this great work. When they get to shore, Jesus has breakfast cooking on a fire. And I said this last week, how does Jesus make breakfast? He just calls breakfast into being. And so he's got fire going, he's got fish going, he's got bread there. The little man on the donkey cart didn't come by and Jesus got some stuff. He miraculously made it. And he invites them as they get to shore, watch this, don't miss this. He invites men who are not where they're supposed to be. 
Now they realize it's him. They're on the shore with him. He invites them to sit and dine with him. You see, the Lord is calling you and I always to fellowship with him. And so he is inviting us back. If you're in need of restoration this morning, if there's anybody in the room that needs that, you are being invited right now in this moment to come back to him. We are invited to come back. We are invited to sit with him and to talk with him and to listen to him. So we turn right now. Now, before we begin to walk through the text, I want to I note something. John wrote his gospel. Conservative estimates say this, that John wrote his gospel earliest in AD 90. So it was the latest writing after Re- Revelation will come later. So there's been a big gap for almost 30 to 40 years now when you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When they end, Peter is still in a fallen state. He's not been restored. So you get to the book of Acts, which Luke would have written, and it would have been much later. Um, so you would read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you would see, Moab, Peter blew it. You would read the book of Acts, and you would go, wow, look at Peter go. Look how strong and powerful he is. But there's this big gap, and I love what the Holy Spirit did with the book of John. There's a gap in between the ending of the three synoptic gospels and the beginning and the first part about the first 13 chapters of the book of Acts is what happened to Peter, what brought about the change. And so writing sometime in the early 90s, at the end of the first century, through the power of the Holy Spirit, John writes to us and says, this is what restoration looks like in a believer's life who's really blown it, really messed up their life, really made a decision that gives every indication that they don't love Jesus. So I'm incredibly thankful for this. Now, the story would have been told. It would have been around. But people really didn't begin to read about it until into the se- end of the first century and end of the second century as John uh, gives us this. And so what a blessing that you and I this morning can know how to be restored. So let's walk through this text this morning. Now, I want to go back and I want to show you the broken fellowship, what happened. I know we know the story, but if you would, would you go back to Matthew chapter 26 just for a moment? Matthew 26. Let's talk about broken fellowship for a moment. How did this happen in Peter's life? And then we're going to go to Luke 22 after we read this. Matthew 26, verse 57. It says, Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And note what it says here about Peter. And Peter was following him at a what? At a distance. He wasn't following close. As far as the courtyard of the high priest and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now go to Luke chapter 22. We're going to get more detail here. And then let's talk about the broken fellowship that Peter has. Luke 22. And go to verse 54. So then they seized him and led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house. And Peter was following. At a white, I know it's a rhetorical. What is it? He's following at a distance. 55. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him um, as he sat in the light and looking 
closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was with him, for he too is a Galilean. He must have talked Texan, Galilean-ish. I don't know what Peter talked like, but they were able to tell, Okay, this guy's from Galilee. Look at 60. Peter said, Man... I do not know what you were talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Now don't miss verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. I'm becoming more convinced as the years go by that the 21st century Christian has, many of them, have convinced themselves that you can have an intimate, passionate, close walk with Jesus and pursue the world at the same time. And they're not compatible. It's not what the Bible teaches. Peter fearful, looking for comfort. He wants to follow Jesus. He wants to be near, but he wants to be distant. He doesn't want to be close. He doesn't want to be identified. And instead of of being bold bold in who he is and and what what he loves about Jesus and who Jesus is, he boldly confesses, I don't know the guy. Girl, I don't know what you're talking about. No, no, that's not true. I don't know the man. And we can't have that. I remind us that the world ultimately, for Christ followers, ultimately really doesn't offer us anything. Now, there's some awesome things to experience here, right? Let's agree about that. There's some great things in this life that you and I can experience, we can know. But as far as us knowing God, we're going to only know God by knowing God through the Word and walking in obedience with Him. And so here's Peter following at a distance. And it brings about this broken fellowship in his life. And And what drives Peter in this moment is... Fear of others and self-preservation. We have all been there in a setting where we, we, we want to self-preserve um, ourselves about what somebody might potentially think and we're fearful of what they might think and so we don't say anything. And sometimes if we let it be, it just becomes this very powerful force over our lives. And eventually, here's what happens. Following at a distance will eventually lead to some kind of denial at some place. It just will happen. Um, And so that's why it's important for us to walk intimately with him. Now, it's interesting, just a few hours before this instance, Jesus told Peter, Peter, you're going to tonight deny me three times, and when that happens, you're going to hear the rooster crow. Now, you know what happens in our lives? Did you notice what it said a while ago in, in Luke twenty two sixty one? And the Lord turned and looked at Peter and it says, And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to them, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Sometimes we're told things and in the chaos of the moment, we, it just leaves our mind. So through all three denials, it doesn't register for Peter yet that the Lord has told him. But it's when, watch, what, what makes all the difference? What, what clues it in what Jesus said? is when Jesus looks at Peter and they're looking face to face with one another in that moment it just brings clarity to Peter's life and he realizes 
the Lord was right about me. I was exactly going to do this. And even though I was prepared with his words to not do this, I did it anyway. Now last week I said this word several times. And I'm going to say it in a phrase. I'm going to say it again this morning. Let's be honest with ourselves. Have you been there? Have you been there? Well, we know God's word, what it says. And we just do what it, we don't do what it says. We choose our own path. We go our own way. And we end up like Peter. Out in the street somewhere in our car, in our backyard, at a kitchen table, in our closet, weeping our eyes out, realizing I have created distance in my life from the Lord. And we're broken over where our life is. The great hope today is, and I want us to see this today, we don't have to stay in that position, right? God offers restoration to His children to come home, to come to a place where we come to know Him intimately once again. And I've thought about Luke twenty two sixty one 61 a lot this week. When Jesus turns and looks at Peter saying, I don't know him, I don't know him. And, and they catch eyes together. And I thought about what must have run through Peter's mind, what must have been in Jesus' mind in this moment. How do we even know about that? How do we know that, that they looked at each other? Nobody else was in the courtyard. John wasn't there. Thaddeus wasn't there. Thomas wasn't there. How do we know that when Peter in the third denial was saying, I don't know him, Jesus turns and they look at each other. How do we know that? You know how we know that? Peter told someone. Peter learned a lesson about that. I think later on in his life, maybe early on or later, he told the other men, this is what it was like that night. This is what it was like for me. When I, when I just said I didn't know him and I turned and he and I fixed our gaze upon one another and I realized in that moment everything that he told me that was going to be true about me was true about me. I had overestimated how much strength I had and I didn't have enough strength. And I think this, listen, I, I need you to hear this because some of us have such a false picture of God. Yes, God gets disappointed when we... He's a father. Fathers get disappointed, by the way. They do. He's a father. He's a perfect father. He doesn't love when we sin. He doesn't love when we deny Him. But I want you to hear this. I think when they looked at each other, Peter didn't see a look of disgust. I think Peter saw a look of love in the face of Jesus. And I think that's what broke his heart. Is that he had... had, He had messed up this love relationship and this relationship that's there. Think of the things that Jesus could have said in that moment. He could have said, I told you so. I told you. He could have gone with his hands, like, you know, pointed to his eyes, and he could have done that. I don't know if they did that back then. We do that today. He could have shook his head in disgust and said, You never listen to anything I say. You just run your mouth. And you don't listen. He could have turned to his captors and said, you see that guy over there? Don't be like that guy. 
He just told me a couple of hours before he was willing to die with me. And look at him over there just shouting that he doesn't know me. He's all mouth and no ears. That's what could have been said. It's not what was said. And Peter goes out in the streets and he is broken. And I remind us this morning that sin is always a great thief. Always a great thief and robber of life. Sin is the wickedest of masters. And the enemy will use it to cast great shame upon our lives. Look what you did, Christ follower. Look what you did. Can you think of the thoughts that Peter must have had over the next days and weeks? Even though he's seen the resurrected Lord twice, he's going to have a number of thoughts. He could have thought, ministry's over for me. Well, I've got an occupation I can go back to. I've been a fisherman. I can go back to that, to the family business. He could have thought in that moment as he's weeping in the streets of Jerusalem, what are my brothers going to think? What are my brothers going to think about what I did? Peter could have thought, well, I've disqualified myself. I can never follow Jesus. I can never be restored. I can never walk in intimacy. He could have said to himself, I never learned. You ever say that to yourself? Just that same consistent thing that you wrestle with? And you're like, why do I not ever learn? Why do I not ever find freedom in this? He could have said something like this. Well, it was great while it lasted. Now I'm going to have to go back to who I was before. And I tell you, when you and I get out of God's will over a period of time or in a a brief moment, we will make wrong spiritual decisions. That's why it's key for us to stay close to Him. It's inevitable for this. And here's Peter following at a distance in this night, and he does this. Christ is to ever be our spiritual moral compass. And when we do not think on Him, we do not listen to Him, then we can get off course just as Peter does on this night. Whatever it is that is running through his head on this night, it was not to be over for him. It is not to be over for anybody else in the room this morning. It doesn't have to be over for us. Now I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. I like hearing pages turn, so I want you to turn to Mark 16. And then we're going to go back to John 21. This is important for us to see foundationally what happens here. Mark 16. Mark 16, verse 6 and 7. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they have laid him. Look at verse 7. So important. But you go and tell his disciples and who? And who? Peter. Peter. Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. So let me ask a question. This is a response question. Are you all ready? Don't look at me silent like y'all do sometimes. Is Peter still a disciple? What do you think Peter thinks? He's not. What did Peter need to hear? You're still in. You've messed up. But I have a plan for you, Peter. And and I want you to go with the other ten. And I want you to go to Galilee. And I'm going to meet you, Peter, there as well. See, Peter probably has already convinced himself 
over the last couple of days that he, he's blown it so far that he cannot be included by being a follower of Jesus anymore. He doesn't feel like one. He feels as if he's been disqualified. He is a broken man during the weekend. But the angel is saying, Peter, Jesus is not through with you. He wants to make sure that you know this, that you are included. In the beauty of the washing of the forgiveness of Peter's life, we're going to see in just a moment. And Peter will know it deeply. It will mark his life, and he will never forget it. And I love in John 21 that he hadn't run away during the weekend. You ever felt like running away and just hiding? He could have just run away and thought, man, nobody has to know what I did in the courtyard. I could just walk away. I could just run away. And I love the fact that even though he has blown it, what does he do? He's stuck around at least for the weekend. I think why is that he still loved Jesus. But I think he had some brothers in his life that he wanted to stay connected to. And that is why it is so incredibly important. And I want to remind you and I this morning, why it is important to have Christian community in your life. Because there may be a time in your life where you just want to run and hide and you want to get away and you don't want anybody to know about where you are, how dark things are in your life. But when you stick around and you hang around, there is an opportunity for brothers to love you and sisters to love you and for there to be a restoration and a message from the heart of Christ that comes to us. And this is what happens. And so now let's talk about this face-to-face thing as we walk through this. So John is going to tidy up this unfinished relational reality in Peter. We need to see this restoration. We need to come to a place where we understand it. Peter is someone who overestimated his strength and his wisdom, and he fails. He underestimates the power of temptation. Have you ever been there? You underestimate the power of in temptation. That's Peter. He has convinced himself at this point that he is more committed than he truly is. And so he boldly says some things without thinking it through, and he has blown it, and he is broken. And we need to see that the broken can be restored. So Jesus is going to deal with Peter's loyalty. They have not spoken together over his three denials and particularly over the last denial when Jesus looks at him. As with any relationship, restoration is going to take place through communication, talking together, sharing hearts, looking in the face of someone else. By the way, it appears at breakfast, this is a public restoration. Sitting around the table, Jesus is going to restore Peter talk to Peter, deal with Peter's disloyalty, call him to loyalty, and he's going to do it in front of the other brothers. After all, the other brothers knew what by now what Peter had done, and so he's going to deal with that. If Peter's going to be the leader of the early church, which he does become, then his public denials are going to require that the other brothers know that Jesus has what? Restored him. That he's not just to be cast aside because of what he did. They would have heard this talk from Jesus to Peter. So after his sin of denial, 
after his return to the old life of fishing, after a long night of failure, Jesus stepped onto the scene and within a few minutes he turns everything around in Peter's life and makes them as they should be. What makes the difference? What makes the difference in Peter's life? What can make the difference in our lives this morning? Here's the difference. It is the pursuit and the restoring work that Jesus does himself. And I'm so thankful for it. I hope you are as well. Because there will likely be a time in your life where you need the pursuing heart of the great shepherd to come and get you and to bring you back. And so Jesus steps into Peter's life because he's the pursuing God. He's the restoring God. Peter needed his sin to be dealt with. Jesus needed to deal with Peter's sin. And I think it's really important to note what Jesus doesn't say as they sit down for the time of restoration. He doesn't say this in front of the brothers. Some disciple you turned out to be. Look at these other guys. Well, these other guys were kind of like him. What did they all do in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested? They all fled. Peter follows at a distance and gets himself in a tough situation, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus also doesn't say there, At the campfire, I knew you'd be a coward. I knew this is what you would be. He asked one question three times for each of the occasion of each of the three denials. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Do you love me? Church, listen to this. This is the bottom line of the Christian faith. Do we love Jesus? Do we love Him? Is He our passion? Have we found Him to be life? There are two words for love. We're going to put them up on the screen because they're going to use both of them. Jesus is going to use one of them. He's going to use both of them. Peter's not going to use either. He's just going to use one of them. So there are two Greek words. Here they are. Agapeo, which is the divine kind of love. It's God's kind of love. And then there's a Greek word, another Greek word for love called phileo. And it's the kind of word that describes friendship, warm feelings. So let me give a little bit of a definition, and then let's talk about the restoration here. Agapeo is the kind of love that is objective. It is given towards someone. It's centered on someone by an act of the will from someone else. It's the kind of love that seeks the best of someone else. That's what it wants. It places great sacrifice as it seeks the good of giving itself to someone else. It seeks their best. It seeks their good at a place of great sacrifice. It's a kind of love that's noble where somebody of a greater place and a greater status at great sacrifice and care and intentionality loves someone who is less great. This is Jesus' word for love here. It is objective. It's an act of the will. It's a love of divine purpose. Is that not how God loves us? Now, there's another love that's really strong. Don't hear it as weak. It's just a different kind of love. It's called phileo. It's a kind of love that's more experiential, and it's subjective. It describes someone who 
who feels something really strongly, something warm, something, um, something very affectionate for someone else. It points to um, a great fondness that you have uh, to another person who's a friend or a cousin or an uncle or someone. And, and you, just, you, just, you just love that person and you experience warmth when you are with them. Again, this is not a weak word. Agapeo is the highest form. Phileo is very strong, very substantive. And it's the word that Peter's going to use here. So let's talk about, thirdly, a needed restoration and a needed conversation. So look with me again, please, just for a moment in 15. Now, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. Now stop there for a moment. Do you notice the two different names that are being used there? John calls Peter what? Simon what? Peter. What does Jesus call Simon? Simon what? Son of John. Now watch. Who gave Simon the name Peter? Jesus did. Does anybody remember what Peter means? It's from a Greek word called Petros. It means rock. Gives it to him in Matthew chapter 16. He makes this bold declaration. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And on that night, Jesus gives Peter a new name. Calls him Rocky. Rock. You're the rock. Because of the great confession that you have made. Now on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he doesn't call him Simon Peter. He calls him Simon, son of John. He calls him his old name. Why? Because he's acting like what? His old self. And so Peter needs to see, Peter, you're acting like who you were when I first met you. I have called you to be something different. Christ follower this morning in this room, if you have blown it and you're distant and you don't know how to get out of the place that you are. You desire, you're craving intimacy, and you don't know what to do. Christ is calling you today out of the old way in which you are living and have done things and to bring you to a new place. And so Jesus is dealing with them, and He calls him Simon, son of John. And so we ask Him, first of all, do you love me more than these? So... Let me throw this question out. Okay, don't, again, don't look at me like this is not a response question. What does it mean when Jesus says, do you love me more than these? What has he just been doing? What has he just been doing? Fishing. So when Jesus says, do you love me more than these? What do you think Jesus is pointing to? His fishing nets, his boat. Here's the question. Peter, or Simon, son of John. And I think Jesus points to his nets. I think he points to the fish. I think he points to the boats. Do you love me more than your old life? Do you love me more than these things? Do you love me more than this? And Peter responds to him. Jesus uses the word agapeo. Do you love me with God's kind of love? An objective kind of love? A divine kind of love? Do you love me that way? And Peter responds, Lord, I love you, phileo. I have deep affection for you, Jesus. 
When I think about you and I think about all that we've went, gone through and we've experienced, I have the strongest affection and the warmest feelings about who you are. Now let me just stop there for a moment. Before we cast too much aspersion on Peter, why don't you just say, I agape you. I love that he's being honest in the moment. Is that not more important than for him just to once again spout off things? That was his problem. He's being honest. Lord, yes, I love you. I'm not at agape right now. I have deep affection for you. I have incredible warm feelings for you. But that's where things are for me in the moment. And I think it's a humble way of him responding back to Jesus. He's honest. He's not just going to say, I'm fully on board. I'm willing to die. He had already blown that in that reality. And so Jesus says, then you take care of, listen to this church. Martha, you're in the room, right? Where's Martha? There you are. Okay. Where do you, you're not supposed to be sitting in the front section. I couldn't find you. <laughs> I want you to hear this. Everybody in the church needs to hear this. Every grandparent, every student. Jesus looks at Peter, who's going to be the leader of the early church, and he says, tend my lambs. Are lambs adults or young? They are young. There is a responsibility for the church to teach and to pour their lives into children. If you work in our children's ministry or you sub from time to time, will you raise your hand? If you helped at Ignite, raise your hand high. Listen, that is biblical. For those of you who didn't, we took a picture. (laughs) And we're coming after you. Here's the point. Andrea. Where's Andrea? (laughs) Hi, Andrea. If you don't work in the children's ministry, you need to be incredibly kind when you hear and encourage our kids. Get to know their names. Get to know their parents. Begin to pray for the children of our church. Begin to pray for the children in your neighborhood. Jesus tells Peter, you take care of the little ones. Peter, I'm calling you to this. You invest in the lambs. You feed them. You shepherd them. You take care of them. This is a call to love. We are called to love Jesus foundationally. That is what we are called for, to love Him. And so a second time, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, uses his old name because he's gone back to his old way of thinking to be a fisherman. Do you agape me? Do you love me with the divine kind of love? And Peter responds with the same word again. Lord, I... Phileo you. I love you with deep affection, but I'm not there with agape yet. You know that I have brotherly love for you. That's how I feel. And so he says to him again, then you tend my sheep. Are sheep younger or older? They're older. So we care for in the church those that are young, And those that are old need to be taught and fed the truth of the Word of God. 
So here Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And he recommissions Peter on the first denial. Now here, the second denial. And he says to him, no more fishing, Peter. Peter, no more fishing. You shepherd my sheep. You tend the lambs. This is your calling. Third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he had said this to him the third time. Do you love me? Can you imagine sitting down with Jesus and you're with your brothers and and Jesus is asking you three questions. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Do you love me? And you're having to confess that out loud. Why is this so important? We'll talk about that in a moment. Because we have to deal with something called truth and love, both of them. And this is what Jesus is doing here. And so Peter responds the same way. And so Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. He knew that Jesus could read his heart, what was truly there. And so Jesus says to him, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, pasture my sheep, no more fishing. Your job is the little lambs that are going to come to faith in the church. And your job is to take care of the adults. Peter was to spend his days feeding the people of God. How? Have you read the first 13 chapters of Acts? You know what he does? He preaches. Teaches. He proclaims. By the way, I want to notice there, whose sheep are they? Jesus says, my sheep. Whose sheep do they belong to? Jesus. You are not my sheep. I'm an under-shepherd under Jesus, but but you are Jesus' sheep. And so we take care of one another. We encourage one another. Because we belong to Him. Look at 18 now. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show about what kind of death he was to glorify God. So let me give you some things we're going to connect. We'll finish things up next week. But let me kind of give you another way that we could have outlined this. Christ followers love Jesus. That's what they do. They love him. That's also part of what 15, 16, and 17 is about. Here's a second thing that we could have outlined this text with, is Christ followers give their lives, every aspect of their life, even in death, to the glory of God. That great sacrifice. So we're called to love. That's why Jesus says, do you love me three times? And then now he tells Peter, he gives a martyrdom that is foretold here, and he tells Peter, you're going to live a life of great sacrifice. And that's what disciples do. They live a life of great sacrifice. They give their lives. And so by the time John wrote these words, Peter had been dead. He had been killed by Nero. Nero uh, came out of power in AD 67. Most people believe that Peter was crucified in Rome sometime around 64 AD. Again, John's writing this in the early part um, of 90 AD, somewhere between 90 and 95 AD. John is writing this. So Peter's been gone for over 30 years. 
And I wondered what John's thoughts were about his friend as he wrote these sacred words all these years later. John makes it clear why all of this talk of loving God is so important and this recommissioning of Peter to the gospel is so important because Peter's following and restoration would cost him eventually his life. Peter, listen this, would eventually love greatly, would he not? He would love greatly. He would give his life. And so Jesus says to him here, Hey, Peter, um, when you are young and right now, you can kind of go wherever you want to go. You've got the freedom to do what you want to do. You can dress yourself. You can go here and you can eat this and you can do this and you can go there. But I'm going to call you to follow me. And let me tell you what that following means. Is that when you get old, when you get old, somebody's going to come along and they're going to chain you up. They're going to dress you. And they're going to take you in chains to a place and they're going to crucify you. He gives this picture, this outstretched arms is that he would glorify God by being crucified just like Jesus was crucified. And this would be the reality for Peter. He would follow Jesus all the way to death. He learns, by the way, on this day that he will be a martyr. This is your future, Peter. This is what following me is going to mean for you. You've been a man of great denial. I've just, I'm restoring you and I'm calling you to love me. And as you love me and as you walk with me, I'm letting you know that when you get old, this is what it's going to look like for you. Somebody's going to chain you up and they're going to carry you away. Why does Jesus tell him this information? Would anybody, I I don't want to know how it ends. I know it's going to end. Why does Jesus tell Peter how it's going to end for him? I think this is part of his restoration. What has Peter thought up until now? Do I have a future in this following? What is Jesus telling him here that he does? He has a future. You're going to be an old man, and you're going to faithfully walk with me from this moment on. And when you're old, You're going to die in such a way. Did you notice the words that were there? You're going to die in such a way that glorifies me. You're not going to waste your life, Peter. You're going to be faithful. And you will follow me. And you will glorify me. So Jesus lets him know this. Though Peter can't see it, Jesus can see the life of following that Peter will embrace and he will walk with. And how in death he will love Jesus so much. Do you know what church tradition tells us about Peter? It's not in the Bible. um, But in the second, a couple of early church historians, writers, wrote about Peter's death. There's also early on in the third century, they wrote about this. That that when he found out he was going to be crucified, he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to die in the same way that Jesus had died. That's loving. Did he get to a place where he loved with deep, deep passion? Absolutely he did. And Jesus tells him that's what it's going to look like. So here's the last point this morning. These are strong words right here. 
hey, Peter, guess what follow me is going to be like? When you get old, you're going to be carried away by somebody who's going to dress you. They're going to take you to a place. They're going to stretch out your hands, and you're going to die a brutal death. Your death will glorify me. And then look at the last part of verse 19. And after saying this, he said to him, what does he say? Say it out loud. What does he say? Follow me. Peter, this is your future. Follow me. What some could have done was like, are you serious? I'm going to be Jonah. I'm going to run. It's not what Peter did. Why? Let me tell you what happens. If you have ever tasted the incredible grace of the washing of forgiveness by Jesus, that you've walked with Him maybe for a while and you have absolutely blown it. And there's all kinds of ways that we can blow it that brings devastation in our families, in our marriages, and relationships, our integrity. And, and we've, we've claimed to follow Jesus. We've been faithful going to church. And we even read the Scripture. And we have blown it. And we're wondering, can this... Can there be a future from a moment like I've done? And I just want to boldly say this morning that we are not to allow our gravest mistakes to define our lives as Christians. We are to allow the washing of the blood and forgiveness of Jesus to cover our lives. How does Peter stand up on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 and preach boldly and thousands of people come to believe? How does that happen? He came to a place. Listen, this is the key. Listen, don't miss this. He allowed the forgiveness of God to wash over him. Here's what happens in our lives. God says, I've forgiven you, I've forgiven you, I've forgiven you. And we say back to him, well, I want to just hang on to my mistake and I want to live in the mistake. And he's saying, no, I've cast it as far as the east is from the west. Will you let my forgiveness wash over you? And when you and I will allow and not fight God in this great forgiveness that he gives, this great river... Allow it to wash over us. Guess what will happen? We will be restored. And there will be a confidence. And there will be a future. There will be a, we will be used by Him. And that's the case with Peter. So let me just give a few takeaways as we, as we close this morning. There are no do-overs in life. Boy, if Peter could, would, would he have gone back? You have anything in your life, boy, if I could go back 15 years ago and I could go back to that moment, I'd make another decision. Well, I have truthful news this morning. We don't get to go back. But I have great news this morning. There is God's restoration that allows us to move forward. So there aren't any do-overs, but there is God's forgiving restoration. There is a healing that can come that allows us to move on. 
Secondly, we must deal with our sin in truth and love. Both of them. Truth and love. If all you have is truth when you're dealing with somebody who's made a mistake, you will get into legalism. If all you do is love someone who's made a mistake, you will gloss over that they need to talk about this and deal with this. So on the lake shore that day, what does Jesus do with Peter? He talks about truth and what? Love. He does both of those things. And when we experience both of those things, and they must be a part of our lives, truth and love. So we can't have it all be truth because it's too rigid and legalistic. If all we ever do is, is just love and love and love and we don't deal with issues and things that happen, then we don't see restoration. And so we must deal with truth and love. Thirdly, here's a third takeaway. We are called to treasure Christ above all. We are called to treasure Christ above all. Knowing what is coming, Jesus says to him, you follow me. So Peter, whether in life or death, you follow me. In the future, his freedom would be taken from him. Someone will dress him as a prisoner. And eventually they will dress him for death. He will be led away likely in chains. And he was crucified. Fourth takeaway this morning is this. is We must ask ourselves, do we love Jesus? Do we love Jesus? Love him when we are young. When you can walk wherever you want. You want. Love him when you're old, when the bones hurt, when you get out of bed. And it's hard to, to do things. Love him when you're young. Love him when you're old. Every life point kid in the room this morning, if you're six and seven and eight, nine, ten, eleven, and you're still in elementary school or that age group, love Jesus now. Love Jesus now. Learn to love Him, love His Word, because you will, you will avoid what Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 12, that when the days of trouble come, when you're older, and it's harder in a sense, you will look back over your life and go, it was worth it to walk with Him, with my Creator when I was young. Those of us in the room who are older, I see you. Walk with Jesus when you are older. Walk with Him. Love Him even if you have to stretch your hands out in death. Love Jesus. Last takeaway this morning is this. It's a little bit connected to takeaway one, but it's different. This life is not going to be marked by non-failure. It's going to be marked by failure at times. Just is, right? Just is. If we could be perfect, boy, wouldn't that be awesome? We will be one day, but we're not going to be that here. So this life here is not going to be marked by non-failure. There's going to be failures here. And when you fail, return to Jesus. When you fail, return to Jesus. You don't need to turn there, but I want to read something that became true of Peter. In the upper room, Jesus said to them, listen guys, I'm going to go away and where I'm going to go, you 
You can't follow me. And Peter, ever using his mouth, says this. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? This is John 13, 36 and 37. Lord, where are you going? Where are you going to go? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you can't follow me now. But you will follow afterward. I had never put that together. Never had put that together until this week. Would you hear that again? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Did he follow him afterward? He did. He faithfully followed Jesus until he was an old man and he gave his life. That early bold direction in John 13 didn't come true because here's what he says. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. And Jesus said, will you lay your life down for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. I am overwhelmed as we finish at God's grace. That he restores people like us. That he's so patient, so loving, so merciful, so kind, so forgiving. That we get to taste that. And the call this morning is to see that loving God is so critical. That we must build our lives on loving him back. And loving him. That is the key to everything. That's why Jesus doesn't say to Peter, go to a counselor, go to a conference. He goes to the heart of the issue, not against counseling and conferences. He says to him, Peter, the issue is loving me. That's why you did what you did. And so let's go to love and let's deal with love. And so we must build our lives on his love. Let's pray.